Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, everybody, in our chat room. We are on the West Coast, the left coast, and it is so cold here. My my Florida body is just not happy. I feel like I'm got chilled toes all the time. Thank you, Christina. I wanted to put Christina's comment up there because it is incredibly encouraging to me. And I wanted to encourage everybody out there. She says, it's a fantastic way to spend making dinner. <laughs> you know how many... Uh, YouTube videos I watch while I'm making dinner, JC. That must be like a thing. <laughs> I guess you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe, yes, Chrisanne is in the house, Bubba Snipes. We are actually live today. Uh, this is not a pre record for in, those of you who care. In the great state of Oregon. Straight. Oh, Oregon is such a beautiful place. And you know, JC, the Patriots here. Are amazing. Just, just absolutely amazing. Sad about their government. Sad. Oh, <laughs> I think I don't think sad is <clears throat> is the whole is an appropriate yeah. word. I don't think that conveys what we're really experiencing here. Yeah. But what we're seeing, and this is this is part of the historical truth, right? Uh, Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that's the lamp of experience. I know no way to know the future but by the past. And this history uh, tells us that it's through oppression that we get our greatest advancements in liberty. And it's like the that man in Tallahassee told me once. I don't say his name anymore because I don't really like him anymore. But and he said, it's always somebody else's fight until you get punched in the eye. That's just a simple kind of country way of saying, you know, oppression brings revival. <laughs> That's what we're seeing here in Oregon. Will it be safe to be in D.C. January 6th? That that's a that is a good question. Yeah. I don't think that's something we can have a crystal ball to predict there, Aaron. Um I'm not going to tell anybody whether they should go either way. You pray about that. Lord, lay that on your heart and you do what you need to do. If uh, I were a betting man, <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's not going to be safe. But if I were a betting man, I would say uh, there's certainly potential for places and moments to be unsafe. Put it that way. Donna Hammond, love, love, love you last night. I'm coming again with friends. And we watched the non-compliance movie trailer. We will watch that again today. Just so those of you who are new to the show can know what we have becoming on the horizon. Donna, we were so happy to have such a big, enthusiastic crowd last night. And I, the rumor is we're going to be even more packed out tonight. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, JC and I decided that we were going to do something in defiance of the mainstream media. I don't think he put it that way. But you see, the mainstream media is all about destruction, depression, discouragement, disinformation. And we want to do something to help you uh, be encouraged 
and to see that there are other people standing. And we're going to do this a lot the rest of this week. We're going to uh, show you what the mainstream media will not show you, that there is active, peaceful resistance going on uh, all across the country. They don't want you to see that. You know what, JC, when I was doing my research for this, this, these segments of our show this week, I was, I was seeing very this, this trend that the mainstream media pops out these little blurbs about how the, there are, are people standing up, but they always bookend it with, but COVID's going to make you die. And mm -hmm. these people are in defiance of your life. And the whole thing is just nuts. I mean, absolutely nuts. April, April says she saw us last night. Amazing. I'd love to see some talk in the chat room about what your favorite, those of you who were with us last night. Um, what impacted you the most? What impacted you the most? Show us in the chat room. What about last night? Touched you, motivated you, inspired you, made you want. I mean, Donna says I'm bringing friends tonight, right? So she was obviously motivated to bring other people with her. So I just, you know, give us a little feedback in the chat room. So we actually have, what is that? Rick. Just an announcement in case anybody uh, <laughs> needs that information. Yeah, there you go. Some people are. So there going there to are actually there. several um, caravans. I, I heard uh, Pete Santilli. In fact, I shared Pete Santilli's video today. Mm -hmm. There's apparently a telegram group. I think that's a messenger kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, there's some coordination going on there. Um, I think people use telegram, by the way, because of secure communications. Remember, mm -hmm. there is no such thing as secure digital communications, just no, FYI. FYI. But nevertheless, there, so there are a lot of caravans and things of people going to D.C. on the 6th. So I think uh, it probably doesn't take a lot of um, investigation to find if you are interested in going. Let me mention something because Kathy says this. If people do not show up in D.C., will uh, do you know, people not show up, D.C. will not, Washington will not get the message. They'll show up. People are going to show up. But here's the thing, Kathy, and I want to make this very clear. Even if people show up, Washington will not get the message if we show up one day and then it's crickets very the true. rest of the time. Yeah. We are the problem that we've had in the past is we show up one day and then there's no accountability the rest of the year or any other time. This requires persistence. This requires dedication and sacrifice to ensure that the message is heard. They're not going to know what, what we believe unless we tell them consistently over and over again. Uh, what time will we know who is the president? So technically, as I, if I read it right, by the Electoral Count Act, uh, it's supposed to be 1 p.m., mm -hmm that they that they do it on the sixth however um i doubt very seriously it, this is just my opinion um contingent upon objections i don't think we will know um i, re I really personally don't think we'll know january 6th I, I don't think it'll be settled it might be um i don't think it'll be one o'clock but one o'clock is the legal time that i guess they're supposed to uh, you know do the count which may mean start um so anyway, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, well, we're going to go over Gomert's case, but yeah. 
I do want to mention to you that uh, here's here's where I think the cute confusion will be. I believe that a count will be announced. Yeah. I believe that well, because the law says the count has to be announced, but it's not going to be definitive because you still right. have all these lawsuits that are outstanding. Yeah. And so and you have objections. that will be the controversy and you will have objections unless Mitch McConnell gets his way and he bullies all of the Republicans into silence instead of the legislators of the states where they actually have uh, disputes, legal disputes in their states and they bring up their own disagreements. So this really, really what we need is for our, our, our House reps and our senators to exercise their duty. Let me put it this way, to exercise their duty to their constituents above their party loyalty. Yeah. So this can't be something. Mitch McConnell's not your boss. Yes, exactly. This we can't are. be something that, that the Republican Party bullies our representatives into. This has to be something that we, the people, make sure we uh, are demanding that our people get involved in and make a stand. I mean, if you're in Georgia, if you're in Pennsylvania, if you're in, in Michigan, if you're in Wisconsin, your reps should be filing disputes. They absolutely should be, regardless of what Mitch McConnell says. Mm. So we have a very, uh, I, I just, I don't even know how to say this. I am deeply honored uh, by the pleasure of sharing with you a video that we have for our, um, oh my goodness, it's not letting me show it. Let's, um, nope, we'll, we'll figure this out. Uh, JC's gonna put it up there. It's, it's down there on the bar. I don't know mm -hmm. how to put that up there. Uh, we'll figure it out, but I wanna, we have an interview to share with you uh, that we did today that is absolutely uh, just a pleasure of us. We met these people last night and in that interview, uh, in that, oh, well, I guess we didn't meet them last night. We met them this morning at their coffee shop. Their son was at our event last night and we were able to, uh, come to their coffee shop today, interview them. And this is just an amazing story. I'm hoping that it will be inspirational to everyone. And let's see if we can make this happen, JC. Yep. Say, yeah. Say when. Say when, JC. We're saying okay. when. We'll, we'll do it. Okay, here we go. All right. <laughs> there we go. Here we go. Yay. So we'll share that. All right, there we go. All right, sound and everything. Ready? Yep, we're ready. Well, welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. We are so happy to meet you. We have enjoyed.
operations. But you guys have decided to uh, engage in a peaceful noncompliance to protect let's, your private. All let's, right, let me go back here. Okay, we'll try again. Did the sound, <laughs> did the sound come on there at the end? What happened? Uh, I don't know. We shared it with sound. We did. Let me try one more time. Okay. Uh, let me do it once again. Okay. Share screen. Um, There's the audio at the bottom. Share this. Why is it not saying? I'm going to do it this way. Okay. Do it whichever way you need to. Yeah. this uh -huh. okay we're gonna do it like this all right there we go <laughs> right, well welcome to the chris Hall daily journal we are so happy to meet you we have enjoyed your cavista coffee here in bend oregon just give me a few take a few minutes or a few seconds and introduce yourselves tell us who you are so i'm kevin i'm krista and we opened Kavista Coffee back in January of this year. Wow. So you started not knowing what storm was coming. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you can say that again. Yeah, no idea. That is awesome. Yeah. But you are in Oregon, mm -hmm. and the governor of Oregon has issued some harsh uh, shutdown rules. Uh, your particular county has their own set of rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. But you guys have decided to uh, engage in a peaceful noncompliance to protect your private property and keep your business open. I want you to explain to us how you came about that, about the decision to do that, because there's a lot of business owners who just simply said, you know what? We'll just comply. It's easier that way. And I, I want the, the purpose of this interview is to not just simply share what you've done, but to encourage other people with the uh, the spirit and the decision that you made to stay open. Yeah. Um, so I think we just kind of, we, obviously when we opened our shop in January, we specifically designed this shop for a certain purpose. And it was to have people inside our establishment. It was for... Um, our actual motto, our mission is come with anticipation, stay for community, and leave with joy. So when the governor ordered us to be locked down, we were able to stay open for takeout only, but we tried that already back in March, and our sales dropped by over 50%. We had to lay everyone off, and it was just my wife and I and our two older boys who we work six days a week, and they were trying to finish up school working 45 hours a week each in the store. And so when we were ordered to shut down again for just takeout, it's like, that's not who we are. It's not what we want to do. So we actually closed our restaurant for two weeks. So we thought, let's take a break and a rest, try to figure out what we want to do. And we thought, okay, well, Governor, we'll give you two more weeks. I mean, it's already been months anyways, but we'll give you two more weeks. But then when the two-week freeze is over and we all knew she was going to extend it, and that we just said no. And so we talked with our crew and said, this is what we want to do. If this is something you guys want to be part of, great. If not, we totally respect that. And well, so, and I think yeah. we looked at the stats, and the statistics don't show that restaurants had any bearing. If they had, during those two weeks that we were shut down, the, the numbers would have come down, mm -hmm. and they didn't. So we had done enough research of our own to know that 
we weren't in danger. We were still cleaning, sanitizing, doing all the things that we normally would do to keep a safe practice. So what happened the first day you opened? So seven o'clock, I'm here that morning. We weren't sure what was gonna go on. And so we didn't know how busy it would be, slow it would be. So we went ahead and um, opened the doors. And I think it was our third or fourth customer that came in, kind of looking around a little bit. And if somebody, the wife came right up, and I'll take a vanilla latte. And she was, they had their mask on and she was super excited. And so I got her, got her cup ready. And so I'm waiting for him to order. And he goes, you guys aren't wearing a mask. I'm like, no, we, we're not. And he's like, well, why, why not? So we've just decided that we're going to, we get to, we're going to choose our risk level. We're adults and you don't have to be in here. He's like, well, fine. Well, I'm not staying. So I'm like, but that's, you have that right to, to leave. And so he turns around and leaves and his wife was stuck there going like, I really want my coffee. And so she followed him out. And then really it's been nothing but support for people because people, the people we have in here want to be in here. They want to be community. They want to be with people. And so, you know, and they're, they're choosing their risk level. We know, you know, we have all the information we need and we've been done our research on the death rates and all that stuff. And people want to be able to choose how they want to live their lives in regards to COVID and what's going on with it. So how long have you been operating at Peaceful Noncompliance? Three, I think almost three weeks. December 3rd. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. And what kind of response have you had from the state or the local government? Um, we've had threats and, um, during December 3rd, I guess since December 3rd, we really only had been ticketed by the city event, mm -hmm. which were clearly appealing. Right. Um, but nobody has come in. Nobody has asked us. It's all been written mm -hmm. notifications. Um, nobody's questioned us about what we're doing. Um, yeah, other than that, from government authorities, there hasn't really been, I mean, we've received warnings um, but other than that, there hasn't really been a whole lot. Why do you think that they haven't actually come into the business? Well, we do have signs posted that ask them to get a warrant if they are here doing government business. Um, and other than that, it's because I think that they're not, I think they're, they realize there's no, not a whole lot of legality in enforcing this. Um, you know, all of our food standards are the same. We've always had amazing health department reports. Um, so as far as keeping everybody safe, we're doing that um, in everything that we choose to do and how we do it. I mean, even when we put in, um, built the place out originally, we put Nisings in. So, I mean, even for our staff, we were thinking way ahead of time. Um, so, you know, using Nisings is a lot safer and what is a that? lot better. So they can turn the sink on with their knee oh. instead of using the faucet. Mm -hmm. So there's no contact surface to touch mm -hmm. when it comes to washing your hands. Um, and it's just, it makes it a lot easier, a lot less surfaces to have to worry about having germs. Now we're here today and you have quite a few customers in the building. Do you think maybe that the, the people here and the optics of coming in uh, as a government agent, has anything to do with why they're not coming in? Perhaps. That's a great question. Yeah, I think you know? so. I, I mean, I think when it's full of people that want to be here, I think people maybe think twice about it, possibly. Well, and the people are speaking, right? It's we the people, and we get to make a decision for what's best for ourselves. And if we had no business, it might be one thing. But we have been swamped. 
since we opened. The public is coming out in droves to support us or any other business that opens because they want the choice. They want the choice to make up a mind as adults for their own health. And if they choose not to come, that's great as well. They get to choose with their wallet and that's capitalism. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you think was, in your, when you were thinking, what was the most difficult hurdle for you to overcome when you were trying to decide whether to open or not? Depends on who you ask. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably more like, can we just get her motor home and run for the hills and be done? <laughs> um, and she's like, no, we're going to fight. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I think really. Mama bears. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I think it's just that always the fear is what I think drives so many of us to do all kinds of different things. And so obviously there's that idea of, okay, well, can I get in trouble? What will the fights be? How about can I lose? What will I lose? And I think that's always a question you have to ask is, you know, what can you lose? And then at some point, I think we had to ask ourselves, even though we didn't know what it would look like, we knew it was the right thing to do. I have, we have four kids and they're watching. And I want to be able to know that I gave, I fought as hard as I could for my business because we knew we were going to lose it anyways. If we keep doing what we're doing, I'm not going to have a business to have. And so we thought, okay, let's fight for our business, set an example for our kids. And I, let's say we do lose our business. Let's say this falls on its face and we get whatever. I mean, who knows what happens? But at least at the end of the day, we can both look at each other and say, we give it everything we can give it. And I think the other thing that we've really encouraged people and we have to ask is we have to, we have to know who we are, what we believe, and why do we open our business in the first place and how do we want to run it? And that was really our heart was we open this business for a reason and this is how we want to run it. And if we're not going to be allowed to run it that way, then why do what we're doing? Why try to stick a, uh, you know, a, a square peg through a round hole? This just isn't going to work. Yeah. I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> so three weeks later, you guys are packed out. Uh, I, I want to know what you're noticing about the people who come in here. <laughs> what is what? What do they look like when they come in? You know, I think it's blown us away because back on December third, again, we had no idea what this would look like, and the response has literally shocked us as well. Um, I think people come in and they look around and they wonder what they're seeing. And they realize that we've given them a choice. We're not anti-mask. If you need to wear a mask, by all means wear a mask. Um, but we've given them the choice. You know, we've assumed that you haven't been forced to come in here, that you may come in here of your own accord or not. And people walk in and they just look around and they feel this joy. Like, it's like a huge burden has been lifted off of them. There's been numerous times that people have been in tears um, just with being able to see people and be together. We were created to be together, right? And to see people's responses and children who don't have to worry about getting in trouble for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask has blown us away in the response. Um, we don't tell people what to do. You get to make your own decision. And people are dying for community. The suicide rates have skyrocketed in our county. And it's not right and it's not necessary. People want to be together. We have one gentleman that my friend just talked to in here. I don't even know if he buys anything and I don't really care if he buys anything. He lives on the other side of town 
He rides the bus to get here, and he told her he sits in here to be with people. That's it. He brought a Gatorade in. We don't even sell Gatorade, and I don't really even care, but he came to be around people. And that's our heart, like he said. People come with anticipation and stay for community. And if we can't do that, if we can't do our mission that we originally set out to do, we might as well lock the doors and sell everything and leave. But that's not our heart. Our heart is to fight for the place that we live, the community that we love, and to go out and do this fighting. If they want to take us down, fine, take us down. But we're not scared. I think that was the biggest thing is we had to get over the fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the government, the fear of who knows what. But at the end of the day, we were okay going to bed and laying our head on our pillows and knowing that we've decided to take that risk. And every business owner has to decide that for themselves. They have to decide what their line is. But after being open for those three weeks, and seeing the response, it's it's worth it's worth everything. it's worth it all. Yeah. It's totally worth it all to see people come in here and be able to be together and find joy again and see smiles and to do life. Well, I was going to ask you if you had one thing to say to people who own businesses all across the country. What would that be? I suspect it's what you ended up with the last thing that you're saying, yeah. but go ahead and, and you you have this moment to inspire, to encourage other people to experience what you're experiencing because JC and I are here and we feel the joy of the people and that joy is the result of the liberty that they feel coming in here. I mean, there is nothing like being feeling like you're subject to someone else's commands and then walking into a place where you have full liberty as an adult, you know, to, to, to make your own decisions. So here's a moment to say just one thing, two things yeah. to help people get where you are so they can feel what you feel right now. I think I go back to know who you are, what you believe, and then you have to, if you're a business owner, why do you have the business you have? And then if you can really get behind that, then you need to, you should open up. If you're closed, if you are um, not sure, you're, you're, you're afraid of whatever it is, know what you want to do with your business and go for it. Just go for it. And I think you'd be amazed at the support you would get from people. Well, and I think that if you eliminate fear out of the equation, no matter what somebody's fear might be based around, you have to ask yourself, what would I do if I wasn't fearful? We can't make decisions on fear. We don't have a spirit of fear. We cannot make our decisions based on that. Nor would you tell your child who's first learning to ride a bike, make your decision out of fear. Right. No, we all step out in fear. I mean, we all step out in, in knowing what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think that's what people have to ask themselves is what's the decision I would make if it wasn't based on fear. Um, and, you know, we're... I guess I would say our decision is based out of love. And a lot of people might disagree with that, but it's love for our community. I had posted a couple of things on our social media um, just about the suicide rate and how much it's gone up. And you should see the flood of influx that I got of response of moms saying, my girls are some of those stats or somebody saying, I've lost my father-in-law. Like that is what is based on love to me. 
and being here to provide a place for people to come and be. So I would say, if somebody's gonna open up, ask yourself those questions. That's what we had to ask ourselves. And then make your decision with fear out of the equation. So bottom line, it's been worth it? Totally. totally. Yeah. We can absolutely do it again. Well, thank you guys for your time, but thank you for your courage, most of all. Uh, these are, as Thomas Paine said, these are the times that try men's souls, and you have proven yourselves to be those who are willing to defend your rights, not just yours, but for the children that you have as well, because that's what we're doing, right? Right. Well, thank you guys for your time. We totally appreciate it. God bless you for the stand, and I promise that other people will be inspired by what you're doing. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much, yeah. All right. Well, that was awesome, was it not? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm watching the chat room because the way things were were set up, I we couldn't watch it in the screen that we usually do. But it's amazing how many of you are uh, were inspired by this. This was absolutely the my hope in 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 this interview to be that you would be just as inspired as we were knowing what they were doing. I mean, being there, watching how joyful. And I mean, she was not exaggerating, JC. Mm. People would come in and the happiness in that place was us was overwhelming to the spirit, how happy people were to be there. To show you how, just how oppressive this yeah. has been, this is to people. You, It's like, even if you don't Maybe some of those people would not even have articulated it, right? Have said mm -hmm. it, but then their just natural emotional reaction—you could see it, whether they even realized it or not. Sometimes you just, you don't realize, just like stress and stuff like that, you don't even realize how oppressed you are. And uh, yeah, that was that was amazing to see, just to see the reaction of people. But I like how they, you know, the way they express pretty much, um, you know, come what may, we're we're gonna. This is why we open this business. We're going to go forward. We're going to do this. And it wasn't it wasn't this sense of, oh, we we might lose everything. And, you know, fear. It was an acknowledgement of, yeah, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, but we are settled in standing. Well, you know, what's interesting too, JC, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that the whole thing is overwhelming spiritually to me. I don't go places where I have to wear a mask because I don't, it, it is oppressive to my spirit, but what these people have done in not just simply opening and giving being a vision of standing for their rights for the people, they now have the community behind them that they may not have had if they, you know, sort of hemmed and hawed and never opened. They not only have the community that goes there, that knows that, you know, that we, she said, we have people that come every single day, right? Mm -hmm. They know there's no danger there. They're experiencing the lies and they're also have a community behind them. They have um, the people's rights organization behind them that are going to come and support them. If anything happens, they have an attorney who has, is also helping them. So because they stood they did not have to stand alone. And I think a lot of times people just wait 
right? They wait and see, well, I have to wait because I'm not going to stand until other people will stand with me. And we get this all the time, right? This, no, they're leaders. Yeah. These these guys are leaders. Yeah. People say, well, you know, he won't do nothing. If I do something, then nobody else will. Well, you can't sit around and wait for other people. You have to be the one to stand and then others will stand with you. But this is just such a beautiful testimony because I actually, um, you know, I, I, I learned so much from them. I learned so much uh, by what, you know, by the stand that they're taking. I learned so much about uh, just maybe not just learning, but reinforcing the things that I've learned from them. And so that's uh, th that I've learned in other places, right? So we have in front of us living proof of the testimony of history that our founders told us about. Yeah. And there's another just just came across um, Spiffy's restaurant uh, bakery, I think, in Lewis County, Washington, that are standing, I guess, a, the county judge, Thurston County is not even their own county, mm -hmm. you know, uh, gave his opinion in favor of Inslee supporting the, the lockdown and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, but they're still standing as far as I know, but they need. They need our support. They need people to rally around them. They need mm -hmm. people to back them. And um, so, you know, when, when people like this stand, more often than not, there's going to be opposition and right. the government's going to come at you. So we have to stand together with these Absolutely. folks. And that's one great thing about uh, the group here, People's First, Pe People's Rights, people's rights. People's rights mm -hmm. um, is providing that, you know, helping or helping organize that support mm -hmm. and rallying people around the businesses and rallying business owners together. Um, so we have to stand with folks like this. Well, and the point that, that I make in the class that, like, that I'm teaching tonight is, you know, a, a we will not comply mentality doesn't begin until an I will not comply uh, resolution has come in your spirit. So we as individuals don't just simply say I won't, but then we have to join together to say we won't because the power comes with the unity of the people. It's got to come that way. Absolutely got to come that way. And so now I want to talk to you, uh, Jason, I want to talk to you about this Louis Gohmert lawsuit uh, because, and I'm going to go ahead and just show you my Instagram post that I have up here. Um, the Gohmert's lawsuit, which is designed to sue Vice President Pence into, uh, well, Let's see, how do we put this? Into not counting, choosing to not count certain vote, electoral college votes. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. And the argument that is made is that Article 2 of the Constitution and the 12th Amendment give to the president, uh, to the vice president, an autonomous authority to refuse to count certain votes. Now, what's really interesting, JC, is first off, when you go to the Article 2, when you go to the 12th Amendment, uh, and which is what I always do, right? Because you, we tell the students when somebody says the Constitution does something, then you have to be able to point out in the Constitution where it happens. And so the argument is that 
vice presidents through Article 2 and Article 12 have an autonomous authority to choose not to count electoral college votes. Can, can we say at the outset mm -hmm. that the law the law already contains stipulations of why votes shouldn't be counted? So mm -hmm. there, there's no necessity for some new, uh, you know, total uh universal power of the vice president. It's already it's already stipulated about the dates and, and the conflicts and that sort of stuff and who settles all that. So it's not about whether you count or not. Like so people that get on here, oh you're not you shouldn't count the states and whatever. Yeah, we agree with that. Yes. We agree that the illegal uh any illegal electoral vote shouldn't be counted. But the point is the law already stipulates that. You don't right. you don't need to imbue power to the vice president that's not there. Right. And it's and it's not just simply a totalitarian pr uh, vice president that we're creating where this lawsuit is successful, rewrites the Constitution, not by amendment, by but by redefining to uh, a very, very important term. And so when we look at the Constitution itself and we look at the uh, Article two. Section two, clause one of the Constitution. We'll look at that right there. You can see and you can read in there that there is a process, right? It says the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons of whom one at least shall not be inhabitant of the same state with themselves. And they shall make a list of all the persons voted for and of the number of votes for each which list they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of government of the United States directed to the president of the Senate. And that has occurred. And just in case you're not educated on this, you're not aware, the president of the Senate is the vice president of the United States. That has happened. This, uh, Article 2, uh, Section 1 reads the President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and the House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. That's the end of vice presidential authority. Uh, let, let's be clear about that last phrase, by the way. Uh, it says the votes shall be counted. It does not say the president of the Senate shall count them or the vice president shall count them. It says they shall be counted. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go over here and look at the uh, 12th amendment. That didn't work. So we'll do it this way. Uh, and look at what the 12th amendment says. Cause this, that was the 12th amendment was an amendment to article two, right? Right. To article so, two. So this would technically be, Included in Article 2. Yes. This is sort of. Well, it sort of supersedes. Supersedes, okay. supersedes Article 2 in that it, it repeats the language of Article 2, right. the part that they're they're fixing. Mm -hmm. So the 12th Amendment. Now, Gohmert's lawsuit actually uh, relies on the language of, of the 12th Amendment, not so much the language of the of the of Article 2 because of the changes that are made. OK. Right. And the 12th Amendment reads, the electors, just like Article 2, the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for a president and vice president, one of whom at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president and in distinct ballots, this is where our change comes in, 
uh, distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president, and they shall make distinct lists of all persons voted for as president and of all persons voted for as vice president and the number of votes for each, which lists they shall sign and certify, just like in Article 2, and transmit to the seat of government of the United States directed to the president of the Senate. Now, that's the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the Twelfth Amendment says the president of the Senate shall in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. Note again, it doesn't say counted by the vice, the pre vice the, president, or the Senate pre president, which is the vice president. Because right, that's not what happens. Right. In actuality, it's there are counters. There are, there, counters. There are two people. I forget the technical the, the name they give them. There are two uh people that are assigned. So the pre the vice president, president of Senate, does exactly what it said here. He opens the envelopes and then he hands them to counters. Mm -hmm. And then those counters count. And then they then they report to him their right. final count. And then he announces it. Right. And so what we have to understand here in both Article 2 and in the 12th Amendment, the specific responsibility of the Senate of the pre of the president of the Senate, which is the vice president, is to number one, be the person who receives the certificates and the votes. And number two, the person who opens the sealed certificates in the presence of the House of, uh, of the Senate and the House of Representatives. There is absolutely nothing that says that the vice president or the Senate president shall be the ones who count them. And there is absolutely nothing in any of this language that says the pre vice president in the name of the Senate president has the authority to choose which votes to be counted. So we don't find that language in Article 2. We don't find that language in the 12th Amendment. Right. And so what happens then, and I'm going to leave this up for just a second because I want, I have read the legal case and I will explain to you how they have one of James Madison's favorite terms, the forced construction of the constitution, meaning they have interpreted into the language, a meaning that does not exist unless you force it out of there. They have said in this text, and the votes shall then be counted. It says the votes shall then be counted becomes the authority of the vice president to choose which votes are counted and which votes are not. And what's interesting, JC, is they take this word, these words shall be counted and add meaning expanding power of the vice president to an, to an extent that was never intended and was never established and, and doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. Because number one, the president of the Senate is not the one who is directed specifically to count these votes. So you have this legal argument that now says the word shall means that the vice president has a unilateral discretion because of the word shall be counted. The vice president has a unilateral discretion to determine 
what votes will be counted. That's it, right? Which is absolutely insane just because of the words shall, that they now can choose what to count and what not to count. And so I'm writing an article to help you guys share this in writing to people, but I want to make this very clear to you. Stop right now where you are and think about all the times that the word shall appears in the Constitution and in the Bill of Rights. And then ask yourself, do you want the federal government to possess the unilateral discretion on how to apply and when to apply shall or shall not? Because that's what the precedent that we will be sending. Every time you see that word shall, if Gomert's case is successful, then the government will have the unilateral discretion by precedent to determine shall or shall not and how it works, which means shall not be infringed. Now by precedent becomes something that the federal government can determine when and how they apply by their sole individual discretion. Not only that, JC, think about this. The Senate pre president is the vice president. If the vice president by this lawsuit being successful now has the autonomous authority to determine which elector votes are eligible to be counted and which ones are to be dismissed, then what we have now established is a precedent that the vice president of the United States has the authority to determine if they will or will not remain in office. Can you imagine the disenfranchisement we're speaking of? A vice president who cares nothing about the Constitution, a vice president who cares nothing about the, the rights of the people, the votes of the people, and the purpose of the states in choosing a president. That kind of despotic, tyrannical vice president could keep themselves, the vice president and the president, in power indefinitely with this kind of precedent. Yeah. By the way, I was I was responding to somebody, JC, and it just occurred to me, do you know we actually have a living example in the world of, of somebody who's actually arranged for legislation to happen that way? Who's that? Putin. <laughs> Absolutely. Putin has the Russian argument. Has created the well, I don't mean to make an, a Russian argument, obviously. <laughs> but Putin has redefined Russian legislation so he never has to leave office. And that's what Gomert's case will do. Now, the second thing that he argues is that because the law that you're talking about, right, the Electoral uh, Counting Act says that if there is a dispute, then the House and the Senate vote to determine whether the dispute uh, is credible and the votes should be dismissed, right? Right. Gomert's second argument is that Article 1, Article 1, Section 7, Clauses 2 and 3 require the President of the United States to have a veto of that vote 
whether the electoral college votes can be dismissed or not based on a disagreement. If that is successful, not only do you have the vice president keeping themselves in office, you now have the president. And, and let me just say, say what you want about Donald Trump. This means every single president in the future will have a veto power over which electoral college votes count and which ones do not, so that now you have a king and not a president. So just think about the worst person that you could have in mind to be president of the United States because the power we consent to today, this redefining of this term shall, yeah, will establish that presidents will be presidents forever. I am shocked that Pence, uh, excuse me, Gomert and the rest are making such an argument. But when you, you know, the right when you look at, so you have Article 2, the 12th Amendment, uh, and, and then those details. So shall be counted, right? There's no, mm -hmm. that's not defined how, right? So, right. Well, okay, well, they sh that just says shall be counted. It doesn't say who or anything. So that's where part of uh, the Electoral Counting Act came mm -hmm. in, which is U.S. 3 U.S. Code Section mm -hmm. 15, um, fills in those blanks. That's where we get the one o'clock time and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's where you find... Um, in that act, uh, it lays out that process. So somebody said, oh, well, they could choose a computer to count them. I guess they could. But what the law says at at current moment uh, is they assign two members from each of the each body from each house, the Senate and the House. And then, you know, uh, vice president hands them the things they count. Mm -hmm. them, he gives them a tally or they give him the tally. He announces it. Now, in the case of dueling electoral slates. If we look at the Electoral Counting Act, uh, what it seems, and this is some of, some of this is not clear, right? And this is what people talk about. Some of this act is unclear. Um, it says uh, basically that, that the two houses uh, would have to vote and uh, concurrently decide. So it says the four said, then those votes and those only shall be counted, which the two houses shall concurrently decide were cast by lawful electors appointed in accordance with the laws of the states. The bottom line is this. The but there's dispute, nowhere that says the vice president no, settles it. The bottom line is this. The dispute has to be registered by a senator or a member of the house. Yeah, in writing. In writing. So they must file a dispute. It is not up to the vice president to file a dispute. The vice president is, you want to talk about the ultimate conflict of interest, right? The vice president has the ultimate conflict of interest when his name is on the ballot. Yeah. The vice president can't file a dispute when you have such a conflict of interest. I believe. And so it has to be filed by a member of the House or the Senate. That's the process. The dispute is filed. And then the vote takes place. Yeah, now, the, JC, law, the law says that then the Senate and the House separately withdraw right. to debate the objections, vote on it. And and uh, if I understand concurrently, because uh, this says if they don't agree, it, it sounds as if both houses have to agree. And that's that opens up a problem. This No, is it where, does. Both houses have to yeah. agree. You must have. That way you don't have the... Uh, president 
of the 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 president of the well not the president the the majority of the senate choosing or you don't have the speaker of the house choosing that's why we have a bicameral house because remember the senate represent the states the house represents the people when both choose then nobody's disenfranchised because both sides have a vote count so here, here let me let me say this first jc before we move on we have to realize that this is a protection of the process and to redefine the terms in the constitution is to throw out the constitution and this is not the solution to to uh, you know how many times i saw people saying in because i posted this on facebook saying well you know uh i don't care how trump stays president he gets to say president well let me tell you something you're choosing kingdoms because Trump will eventually have to leave. Then the next president that comes in will be a president without your choice forever. Who's vice president can unilaterally decide which electoral votes count and which don't. So clearly, when you look at uh, Article 2, the 12th Amendment, the Electoral Counting Act, nowhere in any of them mm -mm. give unilateral power to the Senate president. Vice, which is the vice president, uh, to decide which votes to accept. Now, here's where I, this is where I see the problem coming in when you look at this act. And and for me, this because what you've seen in these sort of crises with no answer in the past is they end up coming up with a new law or a new amendment, uh, which is where you could get in a constitutional crisis. So I look at this law and it says at the very end, no votes or papers from any other state shall be acted upon until the objections previously made to the votes or papers from any state shall have been finally disposed of. So you chime in, but it sounds to me like you could have sort of gridlock about these objections because the Senate and House can't agree. I th The implication seems there that then those votes just would not be tallied. So you wouldn't have 270 right. uh, total votes deciding who wins. You have to count whatever's there. So it sounds like you could potentially have, if if some electoral slates, particularly the competing slates, if they can't come to a decision, you're almost left with, you're left with no decision. And it seems that the law says, well, you can't do anything with those. Well, let me make so you can end up with like a hundred some odd votes decide yeah. electoral votes deciding who's president. You have to figure out who of a hundred and you know ninety votes got the most. Let me let me explain. Is that a possibility? Well, let let me explain to this everybody. This people are running around like this has never happened before. That we've never had a dispute. Electoral college votes have never been in dispute. That electoral college votes have never been. Uh, denied. That is absolutely not true. We have at least four times in our presidential election history that part of a an electoral college of a state was dismissed. And we have uh, examples of entire states being dismissed by the House and the Senate. So you can't go back now and say this is brand new, that we don't know how this works when we've already done this four times like this. 
You can dispute that the Electoral College Act is unconstitutional and challenge it. I am all for challenging legislative acts against the constitutional standard. And there are some legitimate arguments that could be made against the Electoral College uh, Count Act. But that's not what we're talking about here. The argument is not that. The argument is that the 12th, Gohmert's argument, is that the 12th Amendment and the Article 2 establish a power to the vice president that simply does not exist, that never was intended to exist, nor do we want it to ever to exist, because this is a very dis dangerous, a very deceptive, a very deceiving lawsuit. So so when you you cited the where this has happened, this is uh, this already happened in history before. Yes, four separate elections. And so again, it was decided those issues were decided by the House and the Senate. Yes. Not by the Vice President. Not by the so, Vice President. So this whole idea of this power that the Vice President has, according to our friend Mr. Gomer, is I mean, out, out of the clear blue sky, where where is, does this come from? Uh, so that's that's just a, a, a very strange argument. To Well, I guess not strange if you consider maybe what the goal is, but uh, it's just not the way it works. So that is not true that the vice president has this power now. And you don't I, want it I, to be true. You do not want it to be true. I don't care what personality loyalty you have or don't have who you love, who you hate. You cannot allow this to happen. I think this is a lot of this is influenced by um, this sort of expansion of power or, or things that the, that the Senate president, a.k.a. vice president, has done in these situations in the past that make it seem like, you know, he has all these powers. Like you had Al Gore as the president of the Senate during during the Bush Gore controversy. Um, you know, deciding uh, what to, what objections to receive, what objections not to receive. So what was interesting, it's not, it wasn't, um, if, if memory serves correctly about this moment in history with those guys, the Clinton, Clintonistas, it was not choosing directly which electoral votes or not to accept from the states. It was the Senate president blocking other senators and representatives from submitting objections. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's where you have a problem, which which he also has no power to do. No, so he that, has no power. That is to another do that abuse of power. Yeah. But I but it seems like they're looking at that history and and sort of flipping it, going, well, if mm -hmm. if uh, Gore was able to use this abuse of power, then clearly the vice president has the power to use this abuse of power. No, because it's the crazy. Supreme Court didn't even call that as an, as no. in a constitution. I mean, that's completely outside it was the about text the of time, the thing. It was about the time yes. stipulations yes. is yeah. what the decision, uh, the decision of the Bush Gore controversy rested upon the time um, stipulations in federal law, not so, Gore choosing yeah. which electoral votes uh, could and could right. not be kept. That's completely outside. So Steve says, how about no one is the president sent? I reason I, I put that I up there, that. Steve, yeah. is because that actually is documented in our founders notes that it that we wouldn't die 
and the government wouldn't shut down and we wouldn't be in, an, in a tragedy uh, if we didn't have a president for a few months. They said, look, why don't you just don't have a president until you can get this worked out? The president of the United States is not essential to run the government. It is only the president of the United States has only become essential because we have added power and authority to the president that simply does not exist. Joey, if you like Gomert's plan, you need to go back to this segment and listen to it again because Gomert's plan makes you a subject to a kingdom. I want to say this, JC, on our on our way out. This chicken little mentality that is running around our society today, that this is the uh, end of the world, right? That we are in the emergency of emergencies. Let me explain a little bit of history. We are not experiencing, nor have we ever experienced, an emergency as great as the one that existed when we wrote, debated, and ratified the Constitution. We do not have that kind of emergency, and we have yet to have that kind of emergency. In the greatest emergency that America has ever experienced, we created a Constitution with limited and defined authority in the hands of the president, specifically defined president, vice president, legislative and judicial branch. And you cannot, and, and we do not have an emergency now, nor can I humbly ever conceive an emergency that would ever outweigh that and cause us to set aside the constitution. It was born in emergency. It doesn't get changed by emergency. I love the new patriots that clamor for the destruction of state sovereignty to save the Republic. Yeah. Shred oh. the constitution in order to save the Republic. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a Patriot. Okay. Well, you're also very ignorant. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to tell you, but Benjamin Franklin said a Republic, if you can keep it right, because it's not up to you. It's not up to the president. It's not up to the vice president to keep the republic. It is up to you to keep the republic. And history proves this is indisputable. You cannot, you cannot dispute this, period. Liberty, you surrender for any purpose whatsoever, is a liberty lost that will not be restored peacefully, nor will it be restored voluntarily. This is what I don't comprehend. This right here. So what can we do then? Let them cheat. So so when we, we have been when, talking so, about hold, hold on, hold on. When we say the vice president doesn't have unilateral power to override the choice of the states, then the alternative is oh then we then there is no solution. We just let them cheat. Well, let I me get what what is do we need to pass Q-tips around? I, OK, I don't get what people hear. But J.C., <laughs> allowing, allowing the vice president to choose which elector votes get counted or not is cheating. <laughs> it is cheating. And two wrongs don't make a right. We've been. Look, you follow the Constitution. You follow the law. You, your house reps, they have the authority to dispute 
Right. They object. They object. They're the ones. That's what we're that's what the whole argument Why is. Why is everybody so the power pissed off at us? You're is a- in the House and Senate, mm-hmm. not in the vice president. That's the simple argument. That How is do it. you jump from that argument to, oh, I guess we just have to let them cheat? What? Yeah. I mean, you can't. I don't know how you 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 can't speak to people who don't speak English. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. How, how do you make it any clearer, Joey, my friend? Listen to me. This is not Pence's rightful action. House Please and go Senate. back and State read the Constitution, Governor. Don't talk over me. That's where the power rests. <laughs> you have to go read the Constitution. There is no power there. If you don't want to hear it from us then you have to go read the Constitution yourself. There is no rightful power in the hands of the vice president to determine whether he stays in office or not. And what are we fighting for if you're if you're ready to trash the Constitution? Right. What exactly are you a patriot of? What are we fighting for? To say, screw the Constitution, burn the Constitution, make Pence a king. What exactly are you fighting for? I don't understand it. <laughs> Joey, I, 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 he really, Pence is not our Pence savior. is the only one that can save us. <laughs> okay. You know, but, but JC, that's Good what, luck, pal. that's the problem that we have. First off, Pence this, is a company man. This tribalistic mentality, right? This is why we are where we are, Joey. I don't mean to single you out, but I this do. is the problem. Okay. The problem is this. Too many people for way too long have been looking to people in government to be their savior. You are the solution. Your house reps are the solution. Steve says, what is the solution? Steve, my friend, we have been on the air for an hour and eight minutes. For an hour and eight minutes, we have been explaining to you the solution. I don't know how to make this any more clear to you, but I think, JC, the problem is with some people who cannot hear the solution is that the solution involves them doing something. No, I no, think we the need a savior. We, Pence will save us. You have to. Benjamin Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it, not if Pence can keep it, not if, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, yes, uh, Joey, Joey. You can't show up on the show for an hour in your life yeah. and then say what we do. Yeah. Clearly, you've never watched the show. Yeah. Go somewhere else. We're done. done. Look, I don't know if this is going to offend somebody. This language. Uh, you should be more offended by what's being done to the Constitution than what I'm about to show up here. But Rod is absolutely right. We must have the courage. If that word offends you more than what our government is doing to our Constitution, then then good. You need to be offended. So this is the bottom line. This has to come no, we're cowards. from the people. No, we're cowards. And we want Pence to save us. And Nate Bama, we want everybody else to fix our problems. Exactly. The problems we created by wanting everyone to fix our problems. And that's the bottom line. And it's never too late, guys. Never too late. If I thought it was too late, well, history proves it's never too late. And I will tell you. Pence is not entitled to do that, Joey. I'm not. sorry, Joey, that you hate the Constitution, but you're on the wrong show if that's your if yeah. that's your orientation. If you want to destroy the Constitution, then wrong this show. is not the show for you. If you I want to love, stick with party politics, then this is not the show for you. Sorry. I love my republic more than I love a president. I, I love my republic more than I love a party. I love my republic more than I love a Republican. Amen. Okay. 
That's that's just the bottom save line. Save us, Pitts. Save us. Because I'm so lazy and so cowardly that I don't want to do anything. Send me a savior from Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the reason why the country has collapsed. Yeah. Because yeah. you want everybody else to save you and fix your problem. Yeah. No, we have to stand up. Your answer is local. And the no, answer is your state. Yep. The answer is you. And at the local Not level. Not a savior in the Capitol building. And at the local level, your house rep in Washington, D.C. is the one who exposes the fraud, is the one who brings forward the complaint. First off, if you don't know who Michael Pence is, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. If you're relying yeah, Pence on Pence is Michael- your savior. Yeah. Pence is a deep state swamp rat put by Donald Trump's shoulder as insurance. Pence is not going to. Okay, here's the thing. Grant Pence the power to do what Gomer says he should do. Oh, my God. He's not going to do it anyway. He's not. Pence is a company man. Pence is a fraud. Pence's allegiance is to the central bankers and the globalists. You're clueless, bro. Let me say this, okay? I consider Louis, Louis Gohmert a genuine nice guy. Okay. I really do. He's a friend, but he's wrong. I, but he's wrong. He's right. He's wrong. That's, that's the problem. I don't believe that Louis Gohmert has put forward a lawsuit because he wants to destroy the constitution. He wants to expand vice presidential power. I believe Louis Gohmert has been deceived because Louis Gohmert does not have a very strong understanding of the Constitution of the United States. He simply... He, no, he, let's look, leave Louis going. No, on. I'm just saying, no, uh, I'm, I'm not picking on him. I'm, I'm defending him, actually. This is not something that the President of the United States, uh, that, that Louis Gohmert is doing um, is doing intentionally. Sorry, cuz. Because people are telling us, you know, so what's the purpose of this lawsuit, right? What's the purpose of this lawsuit? I don't know. I can't tell you. I can only guess. The only purpose I see in this kind of lawsuit is to create deceit, deceit in the people, to create a false hope, a division that would bring about the anger and the ire of the people when, number one, Pence doesn't do this. And number two, let me just say this again on the record, JC. You're my witness, right? You guys are all my witness. The Supreme Court will not take this case. They will not be the ones who decide the political standing of an election. I told you that six months ago when they denied Texas. The Texas lawsuit had greater standing than this one does, and they put it out. So look, the bottom line is this, guys. We are the solution. We are the hope. We are the power. Nowhere else does it exist. How many of your, how many, I want to know this, just curious. How many are going to repent when the country actually survives without President Trump? (laughs) No, seriously. When your Messiah is no longer here and look, I like Trump. I like him, but he's not my savior. He's not my Messiah. When your Messiah is no longer here and the Republic actually goes on without President Trump. Are you going to repent? We can't survive without Pence. We can't survive without Trump. 
being an American, being who we freaking are, is not contingent upon a single individual. Right. That's a pathetic adulteration of what it means to be American. I love President Trump. I like him. Okay. There are several things that I am pissed about him doing, but on the whole, I like President Trump. But I'm a freaking American, and my country does not rest. Its foundation, its existence does not rest on President Donald Trump. As good a president as you may think he is, the continued existence of America is not upon the shoulders of Donald Trump, period. And let me just let me let me just give to you guys a little small history lesson, because JC is always telling me you're too much of a teacher, but it's just who I am. OK, we have number one, been through worse. We have number two, overcome. And number three, this is what we know from adversity. Liberty always rises in the people of the spirit, in the spirit of the people in adversity. We will have, no matter how bad it gets in America, we are Americans. And we will have a unique opportunity to create an even better, an even better society for our for our children. Because here's the thing, JC, what happens when a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican president is in office? What do we get? Just a pop quiz. Yeah, right. Garbage. You get the Patriot Act. Yeah. You get a civil asset forfeiture. You get a qualified immunity. You get gun laws. You get warrantless searches when you have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican president. That's what you get. If we're going to just sort of start, you know, making little tally marks to find out how bad it's been, I think here's what the problem is. Okay? The problem is we have a skewed perception of what's good and bad and a skewed perception of the things that we have allowed to come to fruition because of party politics. And that's what we got. So the choice will become, as the choice has always been for Americans since the 1600s, who do you want to be? Do you want to be free or not? You can choose to destroy the Constitution and destroy your freedom. You won't get it back. You won't get it back. Or you can choose to be educated on the solutions through the Constitution that we have and build a better tomorrow. Danielle, I am Washingtonian with you, my friend. The best thing that could happen to America is the dissolution of every single political party that exists. And that includes the Constitution Party and the Libertarian Party. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to tell you, they all need to go because it's party politics that have been the morphine of the mind and the spirit of the people that creates this. It's, it's sort of like your drug dealer, right? Now you have these political parties that have been feeding our brains with this political morphine. And now we have to be so attached to our drug dealer because then we don't get our fix and we don't get, uh, you know, we actually have to think on our own instead of you know, the, the, the political, probably a very bad analogy, but nonetheless, that's what it feels like. So we've got to look, do you know how you get free? 
This is how you get free. You free your mind from all of this stuff and you will be free. Slavery is a state of mind. And don't tell me about shackles and chains and whips and prisons. You will be free no matter where you are, if you are free and demand your freedom. So. I'm an American. I'm an American. My lot is not to survive. My lot no. is to succeed. Yes. To flourish. And it's not. To and prosper it's not in liberty. Not dependent on somebody else. That's right. Right. And if you're sitting around waiting for somebody else to pull you out of the muck and the mire. And it sure as heck is not somebody in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Surely. Surely not somebody in Washington, D.C. I mean, I long for a day when we don't even care what's going on in D.C. I mean, the, the, the fact that we even <laughs> give a rip tells you how big the federal government is, how overly large it is. Mm -hmm. So whatever. Anyway. All right, guys, we went over a little bit today. Uh, we are in. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Nate. People, I got yelled at the other day, JC, before we go out, jump on that. I got yelled at because I am not a patriot because I will not run for governor, president, whatever. Um, let me just tell you. I, I never realized how much patriots love the federal government. I Or until, love politicians. Yeah, until this last few years. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining me. And JC on today's show. Thank you. Uh, we are in uh, Oregon and we will let you know how it goes. The class that we are doing in Oregon, Lord willing, we'll put on libertyfirstuniversity.com. And if you want to know how uh, that class went, then just sign up and be a member of libertyfirstuniversity.com. I think we chased some folks off, praise God, today. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Truth, okay. is, truth is not for any, everyone. You, you want to, <laughs> I don't know where it went. See you. See you night guys. Oh wait, I got to get back up here. Yay.